Please be seated. Let's take a moment and pray for Audra right now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on um, Audra and her family, God, as she is in what could be the last uh, moments of her life. We pray for comfort for her children, for those who are around her, those that love her. Um, Father, we are grateful that your grace is enough so that in some of the most difficult and hardest moments of our lives, God, we can say that you have already won the victory for us. And that gives us hope even when we have run out. God, we are grateful for all that you do. And with this family, with Audra's family, would you please be present in whatever way you are needed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. This will be our key scripture for this morning that I'll be reading here for you today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. It's also in the, in the bulletin there this morning for you. So here's what he says. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Ever since Jed was a little kid, he has liked to watch nature shows. Zeke was not as into it when he was a kid, but Jed has always liked to watch shows about nature. And if you have ever sat down and watched Planet Earth, or if you watched something along those lines, you have learned something that you, know, you cannot wipe out of your consciousness. And that is nature is scary. It's, it's scary on a microscopic level. It's scary on an insect level. It's scary in a big level. There was this article this week. Um, some couple was vacationing in Australia. And they, <laughs> this is true, they, uh, were, they like opened one of the doors to the, the room they were in and they turned around there was it was it, it had a, like an arm at the top and hanging from the arm was a spider that was eating a baby armadillo no i'm sorry possum possum i don't think they have armadillos in australia <laughs> i don't know it was a baby possum that's what it was a spider and it was holding this thing in the air as it was hanging from this door frame and the guy was rightfully freaking out. I would too. I mean, like, what do you even do in this moment when a spider is eating a small mammal? Nature is scary. And in this passage here that, that Peter writes, he wants us to know something, and he uses a powerful image from nature in order to get us to understand. He says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. To eat. Uh, one of my friends shared this illustration a long time ago, and I think I've shared it with you, but it's so powerful. And it, it, He was talking about what lions do. I think he also learned this from you know, some sort of nature show. But he says, you know, if the lions, if the prey actually see the lions from far off, the prey freeze. And what the lion does is it keeps eye contact with it. And it starts walking back and forth. And the prey watches it walk back and forth. But as it's walking back and forth, 
it takes one small step forward and keeps walking back and forth, getting closer and closer as this animal is tracking it side to side until it's too late. (laughs) It's too late. He has found something to devour. That image is powerful, but it also scares me. It scares me. This entire illustration scares me. That we have an enemy that is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then the next verse almost seems like a joke. Resist him. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Sure, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of things. And the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. There are a couple things I want to point out to us just really quickly before we move on to our next part of worship, and that is this. We are told to resist. We are told to stand firm in the faith. But it does not say the attacks will stop. And it does not say that there won't be any suffering. In fact, it says there will be suffering. But here's the thing, it's only for, you ready? A while. Because God, in his eternal glory in Christ, will restore you and make you strong. That these things that are coming at you, that are trying to tear you down, that are trying to devour you, God will overcome all of those things one day. And we wait for that, don't we? that as we stand firm and resist, we know that God is going to set everything straight one day. And we wait anxiously for that day. Well, welcome back. Uh, Last week, uh, we, it, was, it was Father's Day, and I spent some time talking about uh, the discipline that God has for us and how we look at some things in our lives. And um, So I, I had some really good conversations this week with some of you um, about the ideas of suffering and discipline and tests and trials and sort of where these things come from, and they dovetail pretty well into what we're talking about today, which I, I love it when God helps that happen. Where, uh, where conversations and things uh, you know, help us sort of move along into, into what it is. And so I'm, I want to take it just a brief moment uh, as we get started today to, to review just a little bit about what we talked about last week so that we can leap into uh, where we want to go this week. Um, so last week I made a few points about the difficult things that go on in our lives and in particular God's role in those things. Um, there were a few things that I said about the difficulties that we face. So we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 12. That was our home passage from last week. And it talks about how God uh, disciplines us and, and how we have to go through God's discipline. And so uh, here are some things that we talked about. First off, um, it, it's clear throughout the Bible that God does test us in certain ways. But uh, we, that, that, whole, that, that phrase right there that God tests us is pretty loaded. Right? So, so what does it mean when, when we say that God tests us? And in particular, um, this is an area, as I mentioned last week, that I want us to, to tread cautiously in. Um, because I, I, don't, I don't believe that God you know, gives us cancer or 
has someone die in our family or whatever so that we will learn some lesson. Um, And if we tell people who are going through some of the most difficult times in their lives, well, God did this to you so you'll learn something, well, it, it doesn't help with their image of God in those particular moments. And sometimes that does more harm than good. So, but God does test us, and it's clear that he does. Um, and, and we just have to be careful about what we attribute to God and how we attribute it to him. So maybe he brought the test. Uh, maybe he is teaching us about something that we've done, and there's a lesson that we can learn coming out of it, about something that sort of we started. Um, maybe he's cleaning up after us, but... Um, the, the thing, the thing that, goes, that goes along with us is that a test can be as, as simple as, are you going to make this choice or this choice? Right? Are you going to do this or are you going to do that? Um, we like to think of tests in sort of these really grand, uh, as these big kind of grand things, but they don't have to be. Um, and there are some things that we need to learn the hard way. <laughs> There are lessons that we often learn because we've failed or we've fallen and we have to get back up again. And there are some things we do where God will not simply take away the consequences but instead make us deal with the aftermath of whatever it is that we've decided to do and what's been done. Um, Secondly, God lets us go through the things that we do because he wants us to be the best version of ourselves. Um, And I mean this specifically in a spiritual way. That God... um, disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness, that we might be uh, set apart and pure and, and, and just for him. And his discipline helps us to be more like him and more like Jesus. Um, and, and it does that in such a way that when God disciplines us or shows us something or corrects us or turns, shows us that you know, a decision was wrong, he helps us to recognize what went wrong and how we should do things differently uh, the second time. And, and I said this last week, I still think this is true. Uh, there are times we can only learn to be like Jesus through adversity, you know, when things are hard or difficult. And we have to sacrifice or give or choose others over ourselves or, or do some of these things. Um, God lets us go through the things we do because it does, in fact, make us stronger. It strengthens our faith in him when we have to step out and believe and say, God, I don't know what to do. And when God shows himself to be faithful, we grow stronger. By challenging us ourselves, we grow stronger. And, you know, the call to be like Jesus is not an easy call. The call to live in the way that we have been called to live is not easy. On good days, it's not easy. When everything is going right and there's nothing annoying us or even bothering us, it's difficult to be like Jesus. But then when things start to pile up, it becomes more and more difficult. And when we face spiritual challenges and fight through them, we do grow stronger. Um, And then the last point from last week was God's discipline leads us to a place where we experience more uh, righteousness and peace. It's this idea that we never, as you know, Michelle mentioned this morning, as we've talked about a lot really over the past six to nine months, that we will never stop growing or becoming, that there's always new ground for us to cover in our relationship with Jesus. And discipline is a part of that. Um, when we have been disciplined, we've again, when we've been shown what's wrong or a different path or we were, we're going through something difficult... And when we've stood strong and relied on God, we find God to be faithful and we understand uh, what's changing about us as we go through this. You, do you know what I'm saying when I say that? I, it, it sounds kind of, I know it sounds kind of 
you're just saying a lot of words, Bryce. Like, you're just, <laughs> like you're just, they're just, they're all coming out. All the words are coming out. Um, um, let, let me put it this way. I know what is true in my life is I haven't always recognized at times what it is that God wanted to change in me until he changed it. That, that's what I mean. That's more simple, right? That makes, that makes more sense. Um, so we came out of that, and some of the conversations I had this week uh, with some of you, the, the questions were about, well, but, but I, I, I believe that, that God really is in everything, that, that God is making things happen, and, and that at some level God is orchestrating the things that are going on in my life. And so what do I do with that? If, if, if you're saying that God is dealing with the decisions that we make or that God is dealing with outside influences or whatever, like what does it mean then for him to be God in all these things? Like what is, what is his role? Where is he? I mean, we can talk about him being uh, the redeemer of things, the one who changes us, who transforms us, who gives us the opportunity to become new, but, but how, what do we do with that? So, or what do we do with that? Well, as Christians, we believe that God is sovereign. That's a good church word. Sovereign, right? You just, I feel like I need to say it with a little more mmm. Um, and what that word means, that God, the phrase God is sovereign, basically means that God is God over all things, so no matter what happens in our lives, he is in control and he is making things happen. That there is nothing that happens that is outside of his power or control. And how this fits into the discussion on discipline, trials, and even suffering is that there is some comfort to be taken or, or, or peace that is found in knowing that everything that happens around us, at least on some level, has something to do with God. So maybe at the very least we can say, well, God is allowing this. Now, what gets hard about that, though? I have cancer, and I'm, you know, I'm dying, and I, my family, and what am I going to do? Well, God is sovereign in all things. Thanks, right? It's tough. It's t- or, or even the argument of God allowed you to have cancer, right? So I've talked to you about this before, but I, I think where we get tripped up a little bit in this conversation is that we are more interested in causality than we are in the outcome, right? And here's what I mean by that. We often get tripped up by wanting to talk about how this started and came about in the first place. Where what we know to be true about God and his role in everything is God is a God who changes outcomes. That when we make certain decisions or we make mistakes, what is God able to do? He is able to redeem those things or to show us where we went wrong so we can make differences or he's able to do those things. Okay? Is he, is he still God over everything? But so, uh, this, this quote was sent to me, and I think it's a good one, so I wanted to share it with you this morning. It's from Charles Spurgeon, who is a famous writer and theologian. Um, he said, It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight 
and quantity. And he's basically expressing very succinctly and eloquently this idea that I want God to be involved in some level in the things that are going on in my life. I want him to have a role. I want him to have a place. And if he is God over all things, and if he is sovereign over all things, and if he, even if he's allowing something to happen, like I need him, I need him to play that role. And he does play that role. Our passage today, though, is a great reminder that there are, in fact, other factors that are contributing to the way our relationship with God plays out. Okay? There are other factors that contribute to the world, this fallen world that we live in. There are things that are happening around us that are not from God that do affect who we are and what we do and how we live. Um, there are several forces that we were up against and Paul wanted to remind the young Christians that he was writing to that they had to be ready to fight if they wanted to survive. So let's look at our passage this morning and what I would uh, recommend, we are going to hit a couple of different passages today, um, but if, you just, if you're reading from your Bibles today, just stay in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And this is coming down toward the end of uh, the message to, to these churches. And so this is what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so this informs our conversation, all right, about God is over all things. God is working and moving in all things. But what else do we know is going on at the same time? And Paul here, the writer, is, is trying to spell this out pretty plainly for us. And what he wants us to know is this. There is a battle. Now, what is the battleground? You are. You are the battleground. The fight that is going on is over you. It's over me. This is the place where it's happening. And he wants these people to know, these people who are you know, early, <laughs> when we say early Christians, we mean there is no real great description at this point in time as to what a Christian looks like and does. 
They're, they're, they're going off of who Jesus is, off of the gospel stories they're learning as they go, and they're surrounded by all these people who are telling them all of these different things. And so they are in a struggle on multiple levels. Like, they're struggling to know what to do and how to do it. They're struggling to know what to believe and what is true. They're struggling against all these things, and that's not even to mention any sort of hostility they might be facing from their communities by being these weird people who say there is one God and we eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ. Like these things that are so coming in from all around them. And, and here's, here's what is so interesting about this. They live in this place of conflict, but Paul clearly believes that the forces of evil are at work in all of this. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of what? This dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a pretty big idea that he's introducing to them. It's a pretty big idea. Your fight is not against your pagan neighbor who says you're stupid for believing in Jesus. Your fight is not against this thing or that thing. The fight that you're in is way bigger. And I don't want to scare you or anything. But listen to this. (laughs) And he opens up this idea of the heavens and the spiritual realms and these things that we are fighting against. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces. And and Paul clearly believes that the spiritual forces of this world and of the heavens, the evil that put Jesus on the cross, that they're pretty upset by the fact that Jesus has raised from the dead and is now offering victory over evil. Victory over the evil one. And, and now these forces are, are panic-stricken at the thought that the message of Jesus is going out into the world. What is the message of Jesus? What is the gospel? That the Son of God came to this place. That he did what? He died on the cross. And then what? And then he rose from the dead. So that we could be free from sin and death. That we could have eternal life with God. That we could have eternal life with God. This is a message that the spiritual forces of this world and of the heavenly realm, those that fight on the side of evil, do not want getting out. They don't want this message to get out. And so if they want to keep the message from getting out, what must these spiritual forces do? They must stop who? The messengers. They must stop the people who are going to live this life for Jesus and, and throw the spiritual balance of things into even more chaos, to take power away from them. The more the word, the name of Jesus goes out into the world, the less power that the spiritual forces and that these evil things in the heavenly realms have. Why? Because Jesus has defeated them. Jesus has defeated them, but there's one last battleground, and it's over us. And if they can stop us, then they can stop the gospel from going out, and they can take from God. 
They're, they're doing their best, therefore, to oppose the gospel, to distract or depress the unchristians, to blow them off course by giving them different messages and things and ideas. Well, is this true or is that true? By tempting them, by driving them any way they can away from God. And as we saw in First Peter earlier, we have an enemy. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. So we need to back up for a second and remember for some of you who were with us when we spent how many weeks? 172 weeks on the story. Going through the Bible. If you remember the story... And one of some of the core ideas from the story, God creates man to have an intimate relationship with humanity. He wants to be their God and they will be his people. But on the other side, you have who? You have Satan, you have the evil one, you have the tempter. And what is it, and this helps frame our conversation a little bit, what is it that Satan wants? He wants to take what God wants, which is to have intimate, close relationship with his people, and keep that from happening. So who is in the middle? We are, right? And God wants to have intimate relationship with us to be our God, we are his people. And Satan, the victories that he wins are not over God, you see. The, same, the victories that he wins are, and we see it over and over again in the story, convincing the people that should be gods that they don't need God. Or that God is lying to them. Or that there's a better God. Or that there's a hundred better gods. And they, it's the fight over us. Which way will we go? And God keeps reaching and blessing and trying to make humanity his people to try to have this relationship that he wants. And the enemy on the other side wants to turn us away from God in any way that he can. So he will tempt, he will discourage, he will destroy, he will throw everything at us to try to convince us to turn ourselves away from God. And I want to just say one thing that I don't know if I've ever said this before. The evil one doesn't care about us. He cares about breaking apart what it is that God wants. He doesn't care about us. We are simply things to be used in the fight against God. But here's the scary part about it. We are the only way that Satan can poke God back. You know what I'm saying? Our choices, who we are, what we do, how we live, we are the only way that Satan can poke God back. So we're under attack. We have an enemy. There's all these forces. What does attack look like? I mean, how do we measure this out? Sometimes uh, it will take the, the, the form of authorities in towns and cities who try to prevent Christians from spreading the message. They face that, and we're looking at that at that time. Uh, sometimes it was more like a form of persuading Christians to invest time and energy. The, the, you, will ne- you have never heard this before. But convincing Christians to invest all their time and energy in irrelevant side issues or to become fascinated by different kinds of things and teachings. Uh, sometimes it's just simply leading Christians down the wrong path of money, sex, power, all the things that this world has to offer. But that leads us to the second part of the equation. All right? 
there is another problem besides the fact that we are just under attack, and that other problem is actually us. Okay? It's actually the, the battleground, who we are. We are a big part of the problem. The choices that we make for ourselves and, and how those choices affect us and how they affect other people. Okay? God is not the one, we, and we've, we've talked about this before, God is not the one who brings things in front of us so that we will be tempted to do evil. That is not God's plan. From James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own, their own evil desires. And enticed, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. God works through us to refine us, to discipline us. He works through the things that happen to change us in who we are. But God never will set evil in front of you in an attempt to see what you'll do. That is not what he does. There is someone else to do that. We make bad choices, and those bad choices lead to our separation from God, which again is what Satan wants in the first place. Now look, but God is sovereign and all the... Yes, God still is all these things, but we can't forget that God gave us free will, and he did it on purpose. God gave us the ability to choose him or not to choose him. He wanted us to choose him and to be able to in a real and sincere way, but that also meant he had to open up the door to the fact that we could be swayed by something else. And again, as we saw throughout our journey in the Bible through the story, humanity often chose anything but God when it was given the opportunity. So, how do we sum up where we've been so far? (laughs) Hmm, that's a great question. That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it. Okay, number one, God is over all. He is sovereign, He is over all things. There is nothing that tells God what to do or pushes God around. God is in control. But there are forces in this world that we live in that are at work. God has, we can't say anything different, God has allowed these things to happen by giving us free will, by the forces of evil that are around us. We, Yes, God has allowed that. And he's allowed it so that ultimately he could have some sort of real relationship with us. That's what he planned we got in the way. And the ultimate result of allowing all these things to happen is that it could cause separation between God and us. But I want to, there's an important note about this that we're going to come back to later. But here's the important thing about this for us today. Paul makes it clear that no matter what is coming at you, for whatever reason, whatever the causality is, in each case, what individuals and the whole church must do before those things happen, ideally is to recognize that attacks are going to come and to get themselves ready for those things to happen so that they can stand up to the attacks. Right? I mean, this is, this is what Paul is most interested in them doing. Now, there is something that we know is true. And we learned this together as a church through all the stuff that we went through 
through the summer and the fall of last year and into the winter. And that is this. We experience together, (laughs) in a very strange way, what it's like to go through spiritual attack. And many of us were attacked physically. I don't know if you remember the conversation, but at one point there were about 30% of the people in our church that were going through, they were in the hospital, they had had some sort of serious diagnosis, I mean, there was something going on. Like pe- We were just like getting it from all sides. And um, there, there is something that I learned through that, and that is, you know, I was able to stand firm through one part of it, right? And when, that, when I was able to like hold on and stand firm through that, guess what happened next? There was a different kind of attack. And then I would like hold on and try to stand firm through that until there was another different, and it came like in waves and in so many different ways from so many different angles. And I think maybe you've learned this too, either through the time we've spent together over the last year or, or just through other experiences, but if we're not ready, then the one who is coming after us will find the hole. We'll find the button. We'll find the right, oh, this, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. And you know, we stand firm through this, this, and this. That may just be a plot <laughs> to wear us down for this or for that. But it's not going to stop. The attack is not going to stop. They don't want, the evil one does not want the gospel to go out in the world. He does not want people to be free. Does not want people to be loved. Does not want people to experience the forgiveness that God offers them. And so they will do whatever it takes to make that happen. And it brought me to this question, and it's a slightly different question. You know, when we talk about uh, putting on the full armor of God, I want to turn it just a little bit. And I want to ask this question. I, I think part of what Paul is raising for us this morning when he talks about the full armor of God, it, because it's such a military example, because it's such a military example, I think in my head, you know, I've always looked at it in terms of, all right, so look how I'm going to get right. You know, I'm, I'm going to be ready. Let's do this, right? But now knowing what we know about, about all these forces coming at us, about the heavenly realms and the evil one and lions looking to devour, I think there is a more simple question to a people who are trying to figure it out and, and live like Jesus. And the question is this, what are you going to cling to when the attack comes? What are you going to cling to? What are you going to hold on to when, every, when the wheels fall off, when you're under attack and it comes from this side and then that side and then this side and then that side and then finally you feel like, oh. If you are going to stand against attack, then there are just some pretty simple things that you have to do. You have to put on the things of God. You have to cling to God. And you have to, get this, allow God to be a protective shell around you. 
so that you're not devoured. So how does it work? We're, gonna, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each of these. Okay, We're going to hit these uh, pretty fast. But the first thing is the belt of truth. <laughs> I, I love this, the belt of truth. One, because the belt is a thing that kind of, it's the last piece you would probably actually put on beside, before picking up your, your sword and your shield. But it's what holds everything Everything is going to stay in place so that you're ready for battle when you put... And, and it's truth. That who God is, the gospel message, is true. This is the centerpiece of who you are. And it's what holds everything in place. That the gospel is true. There is a God. His Son did come here, lived, died, and rose again, and you have forgiveness and life with God because of Him. This is true. And this had to be especially meaningful to a group of people that, again, are just figuring this stuff out. And what has to be one of the biggest questions that sits in front of them? I'm giving up my life for this. How do I know that this is true? They're telling me this. And then, and then someone in the church was saying this. And this other person says, you're wrong if you think this. How do you know what's true? And so they are encouraged throughout this whole illustration to hold on to the truth of the gospel with both hands and all their toes. If they've got to use their teeth too, then just do it. Hold on to the truth. Never give up on the truth of the gospel because it is what holds everything in place. And if you start believing that the gospel is not true, it doesn't matter what else you put on. Can I say that? If, if you start believing it's not true, it doesn't matter what else you put on. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. Um, we need to clarify something here. Um, this is not your righteousness. This is not your goodness. This is not your ability to do good things. Uh, from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Paul says, But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, just to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is actually really, really good news, folks. That the breastplate of righteousness is not how well I am doing. Okay? It would be made out of like tin foil if it were based on how well I am doing. Instead, it is representative of God's righteousness. But more than that, okay, and this is the beautiful part of it. It's so, it's so great. It's God's righteousness, but what has God done with that righteousness? Why can you even put on God's breastplate of righteousness in the first place? Because through Jesus, what has God done? He's made you right. He's made you right. And so therefore, it is an empowering of you. It is saying this is who God has made you, that God ha has changed 
who you are, that you now carry his righteousness and not your own, that it's not dependent upon the things you're doing, it is dependent upon the things that God has done for you. And as we've said, God is going to set everything right. Third, the gospel of peace, the message of peace with God and peace with others. And it talks about on our feet and making our feet ready. And I find that so interesting. And here's something I've never considered. How does, I think I've always ignored peace being on our feet and the readiness and I, I think I've always ignored that, the piece of the gospel, because it just sounds kind of weird and like, okay, sure, I got gospel shoes, right? I don't, I don't know. But here's what I think it is. I, I think, like I said, we're being challenged here as to what are you going to cling to. And if you are clinging to God, and we've already covered that the gospel is true and that God is the one who makes you right, then then what should you have? You should have some kind of peace, right? Because you're no longer trying to redeem yourself. You are accepting that God has done these things for you. You're settling into the gospel. You're clinging to the truth. You're covering yourself in the righteousness that God gives you. And that gives you peace to face what is coming and peace with who God is and what Jesus has done. And therefore, because you are at peace with who God is and what Jesus has done and what that means to you, get this, you have sure footing. You have sure footing. What is the thing that takes away our peace? It's our own worry, our own anxiety, our own desire to control and listen, when we do that, when we take over for God, what's the first thing we lose? Our footing. We lose our footing. It's like going, riding your bike from a paved road into sand. I don't recommend it. Fourth, the shield of faith. Belief in Jesus as the risen Lord allows you to stop the flaming arrows of the evil one. The arrows can take the... Lots of different forms, doubt or despair or circumstances or temptation that will burn you up if you let it catch you. But instead, you have this thing that you're putting out in front of you to catch all the arrows. And what is that thing? Tell me what it is. It's faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. Faith in God. And it can catch all of it. Who God is and who I believe he is, you can't get through this. You can't get through this. I'm going to hold my faith out in front of me that it is Jesus who's made these things happen and it keeps the arrows from reaching you. And then lastly, the helmet of salvation that sits on your noodle right up there. The knowledge of what? Before you enter the fight, you know what? I am saved. I'm saved. And therefore, you catch those flaming arrows. You beat back the attack. And all these things are defensive. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. All of these things are defensive. We are given one weapon. The sword of what? 
the Spirit, the Word of God. And, and the Word that he's talking about here is the Gospel. I know we would maybe like to look at that as being the Bible. Well, they didn't have the Bible. They had Old Testament scriptures, but this particular group probably wouldn't have much access to that. So the word that they're talking about is the word of the gospel. And I love, this is something that maybe we cannot appreciate enough, the fact that the gospel in its simplicity is the word that drives everything forward. It drives everything forward, and it is the weapon that we have to actually fight back against the things that are thrown at us. Who does that remind you of? Reminds me of Jesus, who when he was in the desert, in the wilderness, being tempted, and was being told things that were not true, how did he fight back? By quoting from the prophets. By quoting from Scripture back to God, back to Satan. And that's how he won. That's how he kept his perspective. It's how he kept his peace through all those things. So, where does this leave us? Okay, number one, you need to put all of these things together in order to protect yourself. You can't just brandish one at a time. They all fit together. And honestly, I'm not really sure you can have one without the other. It's, it, it's a set. Okay, it, it, it's, it's a truth. The righteousness that comes from God, peace, faith, Salvation, the Spirit, all of these things come together. And they all work just the way they're supposed to to help us resist attack. So we need to utilize all of these things, strengthening each area, knowing what each one means, clinging to the truth, clinging to the righteousness that God gives us, clinging to the salvation that protects our head, (laughs) doing all of these things, and it is what helps us to stand. But that brings us to something that I just, I want you to think about this morning. And I said this a little bit earlier, but I want to reemphasize this here. Within this spiritual warfare, within this spiritual warfare, it is not possible for you to lose. That's the trick of this whole thing. It's actually not possible for you to lose. Could it hurt? Yeah. Are you maybe going to suffer? Sure. Is it going to take a lot out of you? Quite possibly. But you will never lose. Isn't that interesting? You don't lose. It's only possible for you to give up, become discouraged, and walk away, take the armor off, and set it down. And give in. Satan can't take you from God. Satan can't. The evil one and all those forces cannot penetrate the things we've talked about. They lose. The battle is already won. It is up to us to put the things of God on and, as simple as this may be, not forget who he is, what Jesus has done, and how that changes us. 
And when we cling to the truth of those things, we can stand. We can stand. And it may not be pretty. (laughs) It may be downright ugly. But the thing that we have cannot be taken away from us. From Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the worst thing the enemy believes they can do to us? What is the worst thing the world believes it can do to us? Take our lives. Taking our lives just gets us to Jesus faster. The game's already won. It's already done. But the last battleground is over us. And whether we will stand firm in who God is and what Jesus has done and how he has changed us. Put the belt of truth around your waist. Put the breastplate of righteousness, God's righteousness on your chest. Cover your feet with the readiness of the peace, the gospel. Put on the helmet of salvation. Pick up the shield of faith. And then hold that stinking sword out in front of you. God is one. And so have we. So let's stand firm in that promise. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this picture that is painted for us. God, we don't always feel victorious. We don't always feel strong. We don't always feel like we're standing firm. But Father, the, <laughs> the strange thing about that is that you ask us not to just put our faith and hope in ourselves, but to trust in you that you are the God who is victorious, that you are the one who has won already. And you invite us, God, into this wonderful promise that as we cling to you, you will give us what we need to stand. And that's what we want, God. We know that we're going to face trouble. We know we're going to face challenges. We know we're going to face tests. We know we're going to face your discipline. We know there's an enemy that is coming after us, but God, help us to be reminded again and again of what cannot be taken, no matter how much the evil one will convince us we have lost everything. 
may we stand firm with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you. Uh, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together.